Jeff. Hey, Daniel. Good to talk student loans with you again. We meet again to talk student loans, and I definitely enjoy the strategy more. Understanding how things work is important. You got to understand that part, but it's fun to talk strategy because that's where the rubber meets the road. So we're going to be talking strategy today with all these new student loan changes. It doesn't get much better than that, Dan. <laughs> so there's been a few changes, some big changes, and we talked about that a little bit last time. We'll also link to some of the recent shows that we've covered those changes a little bit more in depth. But there's some changes that are getting rolled out. A lot of you listening probably have already like gotten put into like, for instance, this new repayment plan that's out there, the save plan. There's some new rules around how you qualify for PSLF. And there's some new provisions that come with the new repayment plan. So we're going to talk about some of these strategies that are going to come into play around these big changes. So I think we also talked about the old way of doing things in our last conversation. Maybe a good starting point is like, are there situations where you should keep like the old plan in place? Are there people that are going to be like better off just continuing how they were doing it before? Or in other words, not making any changes or is that even possible? Right. So the old plan in place would be what they've been doing previously. And in general, the kind of the leaning there would be if you had, if you weren't sure you would go on the page you were in plan as an option or revise page you were in depending on where you were at and pays you were and offered a payment cap and allowed you to file taxes separately while repay had an interest subsidy. And so those are the two main ones, right? And so first of all, do you need to make a change right now? I think that's probably the first question to ask. Yeah. And that partly comes down to what's your payment scheduled to be now and what plan are you on now? Uh, as the payment pause ends, right, payments are scheduled to kick back in at what they were pre-pandemic or pre-freeze unless you certified income along the way. No one's been required to certify income in the last three years, but if you have, for whatever reason, payments would resume based on that update instead of what they were pre-pandemic. But what that means is you may have a $0 payment that is scheduled to last for another year or possibly more depending on what recertification dates you have on, on your file or a low payment or a low payment. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly take a $25 payment or a $150 <laughs> payment over what, you know, what an attendings payment might be. If you, you know, let's say you graduated residency in 2019 and you've, you know, man, now you've gone through and four years into practice, five years into practice, that's a decent change in income, right? So, yep. you know, first take a look at that. And so if it's going, the reason being, if you are going to make a change on a student loan plan, so if you're going to change to a different payment plan or we're happen, if you happen to need to consolidate your loans, that's going to require a new income certification, which is going to reset your payment amount based on most recent income. So does that make yeah. sense? 
So you want to be careful with anything that triggers your income to be verified again, particularly if you're in a ultra low payment scenario. And especially right. if you're going for PSLF, because with PSLF, we want to make payments as low as possible for as long as possible. So you have to, the takeaway is you need to be aware of what your current payment is and get an idea of how long that would continue if you did nothing. And there's probably going to be a lot of people that should do nothing because that payment is so low because most people's income goes up, but there might, there's going to be some of you that probably should do something before then, like the longest you could do nothing would be your next income certification date or the required date that you have to certify income. So there'll be a date that will come around that will be like, you have to show your income. So that's like the, you know, most delayed possible route of doing anything would be to do nothing until that date comes. What's the date that's going to be Jeff, the earliest you said? Yeah. So the earliest that anyone's required to certify income at this point is March 1st of 2024. So that's March 1st of next year at the time we're recording. Mm. Anything that happened that is scheduled to occur before that gets a full year extension. And so let's say you had your d anniversary. Ah, oh, the anniversary for student <laughs> loans. How delightful. <laughs> but that was in February of 2024 was your scheduled time to recertify. That gets pushed out all the way until 2025. So Sheesh. in that case, let's say you are the luckiest of the lucky as far as timing goes on your student loan certification. Uh, you know, you could have a still a $0 payment or a low payment that lasts from now for another year and a half. Mm. And that's okay. why you may want to just double check that. Yeah. Can, let me give you real quick. You can find that if you ever were to go to studentaid.gov, there's a file there called my aid data. And if you were to just search for the term IDR anniversary within that file, it will give you that date and that date if it's any time earlier than march 1st 2024 push it out to whatever that same date is mm -hmm. in the year following 2024 and that gives you an right idea. so a lot of people maybe just are going to delay that or you know let that thing play out as long as they possibly can now there's a lot of exceptions to that like <clears throat> consolidation is the one or maybe your income's gone down since you're, that's probably less likely, but consolidation is probably the big one where there's some of these new benefits out there where it's in your best interest to consolidate, even though maybe the payment's going to go up some, it starts to get complicated on where, how to figure that out. But maybe we could talk through some of those examples where, you know, maybe a consolidation makes sense, even though it might affect your income payment. Yeah. So cases where a consolidation might make sense. And right now we're, we'll talk about it time oriented, time urgent type stuff right now, because we are in a time period where if you consolidate by the end of this year, uh, there are a whole lot of benefits to that compared to the way consolidations used to work and also the way that credit we granted to them going forward. And so 
consolidating may make sense if you have a few different options here. One would be maybe you've got really old loans and they're on the old FFEL loan program. You, you might know that one telltale sign would be if you had a private FFEL loan and, and the payments weren't paused during the pandemic. That's one way you know you've got an old loan. And so if you happen to be, uh, what are we going to say, Daniel? How do you know if you have a, a <laughs> tongue twister? How do you know if you have an FFEL loan? So a lot of the times when you go to the servicer, it's going to show up somewhere in the title of that loan. But the surest way to find out what kinds of loans you have are to go to that same file on studentaid.gov and you can actually find out what the title, what the description of that loan is. And if it's FFEL, it says that right in the description. So actually just search for FFEL. In that in same document. Yes. And if it says that it's not been paid in full or consolidated already, then you probably have an old FFEL loan. The reason that's a problem is that only direct loans qualify for, and so direct loans are a classification or you know specific type of loan that the federal program puts out there, but only the direct loans qualify for PSLF. FFEL loans can qualify, but first they have to be consolidated into a direct loan. And so if mm. you've got those old loans... To make them qualify, you'll have to do a consolidation. Before the end of the year. And you could do that. Yeah. Before the end of the year would be best because we're in a time period right now where any previous credit that you would have had on those loans gets consolidated as well. So, Right. Now, so that basically the consolidation is a good way to is a potential strategy to get otherwise not qualified payments to qualify. Right. So to get loans that wouldn't have qualified to qualify is one way. The other one is if you have loans and this may go hand in hand with having some FFEL, some old loans and some new loans is loans that have different payment histories on them. So uh, a, a common, I mean, not common, but some, a case I've seen multiple times in the last couple of weeks, even is someone that had some undergrad loans. They worked for a year or two full time, and then they went to med school. So, you know, they weren't working during that portion of the time, but they got new loans naturally. That seems to go hand in hand, med school loans, right? And then those med school loans start getting credit, you know, four years later when they hit residency. But if you combine those two together, you get those two years or a year of full-time employment. A lot of times it seems like they're university-based employment then too, before you go stereotype maybe here, but that that's what we're seeing with some of those. And so now I get two more years from my undergrad loans credited towards my gigantic loans from med school. And that would be a reason mm. to consolidate too. Yeah, that can be a home run. <laughs> now, e- and sometimes even if, say you got that, say you're not going to have to in- certify income until maybe February of 2025 at the longest. So, and you're, let's say your payment's really low. There's just, there's plenty of situations I can think of where even if you're in that scenario where payments are low and they're going to get 
they're going to continue to be low until, you know, way down the road, like February of 25, that you still might want to consolidate and voluntarily cause your payments to go quite a bit up because the benefit of that adding PSLF payments is substantial enough. So that's what you're weighing there is like the cost of increased payments over the next however many months versus the benefit of sooner forgiveness or, you know, yeah, basically sooner forgiveness. Yeah. So give that kind of an example. If you've got a $5,000 FFE all loan hanging out there and certifying income now is going to make your payment $2,000 a month higher, that's not the case for a consolidation, right? <laughs> but if you have a larger old balance that could benefit from forgiveness, or it could bring two years worth of credit to a giant balance from med school, then that's certainly worth looking into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then there's a few other <clears throat> strategies I've heard you talk about that tie into that consolidation strategy we hadn't hit on yet today, but it pulls in all your loans, right? Like not only, so we've been talking about the borrower's loans, but the borrower could also be the parent. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's this is where it gets crazy in my head. I mean, it, student loans have been crazy for a while, but this is just yet another new crazy strategy that's come about. Yeah. And this is really probably a, a time limited option, but going along with that IDR one time account adjustment that if you consolidate loans by the end of the year, they all get the same credit and applied to it, no matter what the payment plans were. Uh, what we're seeing there is there's the lesser known forgiveness option of 20 or 25 years. So payments, it doesn't matter where you're employed at that point. It's just 20 or 25 years of payments. Those loans get forgiven as well. But we have some that have been paying on loans since like 1999, their own loans. And now they have kids that have just finished college. And so they have parent plus loans. And if you consolidate those loans together, your old loans with the parent plus loans, those can get the credit as well. And so Boom. Uh, limited use case, but holy moly, what a benefit for those but that are not to. that limited. That's true. I mean, <clears throat> there's gotta be a lot of people that have children that are, especially if you had big student loans, where we're seeing it is where you had some old federal loans that were just like super low interest rate and maybe you had the money to pay it off, but you're like, it's 2% interest rate. So people were just paying the minimum payment on their 2% interest rate student loans, even though they could have paid it off and they've kind of drug it out for a while. So they still have it, but now they even fast forward to have having kids and then maybe they're starting to go to college and that's a potential viable strategy. It's a very good strategy. So, but you got to run the numbers on all these. So those are potential considerations like leading up to, I think that first recertification date time, like you want to kind of get, this is like housekeeping to think about in the short term, mm -hmm. but what about like beyond 
that first certification date. I think that's kind of the time when you got to really think about like, what am I just going to go with this new save plan or? Yeah, that is where it gets to be fun. <laughs> if it wasn't already ready, already fun, it's, it gets fun then. And I so you want to go with what applies to the vast majority of individuals at this point? We'll start there. We'll start there would be the majority for the majority the save plan the new plan that's out there is likely to be the lowest payment option that leads mm-hmm. to loan forgiveness yep um, particularly as it relates to public service loan forgiveness PSLF the reason being that it it gives you the lowest payment option because it it calculates the payment differently than all the other plans it still allows you to separate income by filing taxes separate. So you get the benefit of either option. You get the choice to file separate or joint on this plan and, and choose which one's more beneficial. And then that interest subsidy is helpful as well. If you happened to leave the PSLF program at some point, just refinance. Um, so where that tends to make sense, and I'm going to give a rule of thumb if that's all right, but would be if your income is roughly half of your student loan balance or more. Let me go back and try and phrase that because I think I'm getting it backwards now. But if your loan balance is twice as large as your income, you're definitely going to be, you're very likely to be better off with the save plan than anything that has a cap because you're, it's going to be hard to reach that cap. You're never going to reach that cap at twice the income or twice the debt is your income. But as you, if you're higher income and lower debt, so if we get more like to that one-to-one ratio, um, the closer you get to that, the, the, the more due diligence you need to do. The reason being that the save plan does not have a cap on how high payments can go. So even though it's got a lower payment calculated, it's still a percentage-based payment. And if that percentage is bait is higher than um, what you would pay on another plan, it's going to keep going up. Um, and Daniel, can you remind us what, what the payment cap is? I'm talking about this payment cap, but can you help us out? The payee payment cap. Yeah. So the payee payment cap, that's just a, it's a set limit amount of what you possibly could pay per month based on the 10 years standard repayment plan. So it's the payment you would have had to make it paid off in 10 years. So say for instance, if you're going to say you owe a hundred thousand on student loans and you're making a million in a nonprofit hospital, like you're going to cap it out. (laughs) Like you're way over the cap on payee. That's an easy scenario where it's like payee still has a huge benefit because on the other plans, there's no cap. So they base it off a million dollars of income, but that's not, I mean, in our experience, that's not the majority for sure. Right. And so just to, let's give that example there, a million dollars in income, a hundred thousand dollars in student loans, 10 years of payments. And let's forget interest rates for a second, Daniel. So 10 years to pay off a hundred thousand dollars of loans would mean 
how much would you be paying every year on a hundred thousand student loans over 10 years? I think I can get this one. Yeah. Actually grab your abacus for me. Oh, abacus. Can we do this one on that? 10 times 10 is a hundred, $10,000 a year. Right. $10,000 a year. And then to contrast that with a payment based on a million dollars in income, that's all that, it gets to be eighty thousand eighty eighty five hundred dollars a month roughly. You could basically say ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Uh, so you just be, pay the thing off in a year and get no forgiveness. But and so historically, that ten year payment amount, that cap, you know, if you were to just make ten years worth of payments, they're paid off anyway in ten years. There's always been some advantage to the the crowd that we work with as you've gone through likely lower income years with high debt as you're going through residency fellowship. And so you get, you know, three, five, seven, I mean, you can get a lot of credit depending on how much training you go through towards PSLF where you're not paying at the level that it would take to pay it off in 10 years. So if you'd ever paid it a lower than a 10 year payment, you're getting a benefit out of PSLF. So and then exactly. if you throw three year COVID forbearance on top of it all, add right. another three years. <laughs> right. But if you were in, in that scenario, going to pay it off anyway with a, a plan that had no cap, then you could have benefited right. on PSLF, but not on that plan. So if mm-hmm. there's a cap on the plan, it doesn't help out. Um, yep. So you want to preserve that cap. If you If your income is... I mean, I think either your balance is low. That's another scenario that can happen. I've seen that happen where maybe your income is not really high, but like the ratio of your income to your loan is pretty high. So maybe you had 50,000 of loans and you're on an, and you have an average physician income, you probably are getting close to exceeding the cap, I would say, or maybe I guess you probably would exceed the cap in the safe plan. So you probably ought to think about like preserving some sort of income cap if you can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that would be the time where you want to see if you, if that payment cap is going to be beneficial. So high income compared to relative to the loan balances where that comes into play mm-hmm. for the vast majority that I've looked at and analyzed though, that income disparity, especially we're talking, I'm going to say, I'm going to call this normal student loans. It kind of hurts to say normal uh, when we say $250,000, right? That's pretty average. But if you have normal med school loans in the $250,000 range, the income it takes to make that cap favorable to you at this point tends to be relatively large. So we're, we're talking probably looking at six hundred seven hundred thousand dollar level before mm. where, where that more than double happens. so yeah uh, and that, that's certainly going to depend on each set of loans and income but um, mm-hmm. but that that's a good way to think about it so now the save plan though so most people are probably going to be better off in this save plan some of you will pro you know the minority will be better off sticking with like payee or even I could see IBR being beneficial 
in some cases, because it has a payment cap as well. That's an old repayment plan we haven't even talked about. But there's cases where those are like the exceptions where you would benefit from those payment caps. But most people are going to go with a save plan or be better off in the save plan. And that's the default. If you were in repay, you, you were automatically switched to save, right? Yeah. So repay, revise. They didn't ask you anything. They just went ahead and moved you. It's yeah. It's just, it's morphing like a power ranger (laughs) into a new plan. So, so yeah. How did they morph the contracts? (laughs) That is a good topic for another podcast, maybe uh, of of concerns going forward, but yeah, that uh, could be a problem for courts. If it were to get tested in court, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, the, yeah, we won't even get into that here. We'll just talk <laughs> about what the implications are of this plan going forward on the payments yeah. and how it's playing out. But yeah, that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, like so oil hats too. That'd be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So save plan. You can file separate. I think the biggest one that's going to make things complex for people is the file separately thing. Now that's in play for everybody. With, yeah, with so- the save plan. It's in play for everybody with the save plan and most of the other plans already had that feature. So basically there, there were some old strategies where it made sense to like file separate, but be on a plan that took into account some other income, but you can just strike that from the record because it doesn't matter anymore. But, But yeah, so you can file separately and then it only takes into account your income on the save plan. Whereas the old repay plan did not have that feature. It always took your income and your spouse's income, lumped them together to make the payment calculation, which. Yep. So there can be some pretty big advantages there as well, or it's really good. I guess at a starting point, it's good to have that option. I mean, you want to have that option in your back pocket to be able to explore that strategy. So there's all kinds of strategies. And if you end up going down the path of like filing separately, there's all, we're talking strategy. So there's all kinds of strategy that goes with this whole file separately thing, because, you know, depending on which spouse and how it's working, like there can be times where it's like, okay, well, if, you know, say Mary spouse and John spouse number two, say Mary's got the one that's got the student loans and then her income is lower then you know, maybe we're going to say file separately and isolate her income for student loan calculation purposes. And then maybe even take it further. Like let's make sure she's maxing out retirement plans, pre-tax, and then maybe even further and say like, you have an HSA plan that's a pre-tax thing and John's got it on his plan, but like it needs to be on Mary's plan because she gets the extra kicker with the, so those strategies have been around for a while, but like now they're open to pretty much, it's a much broader swath of the population that's going to, they're beneficial, but they're complicated. Yeah, it makes your tax. So maybe the choice to be on the plan is not as difficult. No. Or the save plan makes a lot of sense, but the choice on how to file taxes has become something that's going to take a little bit more effort. Yeah, because you're like, how do I file separately? How do I know? How do I calculate filing separately? You go to your accountant, they're like, you're an idiot for filing separately. Like, why would you ever file separately? So then it's like, why would I consider filing separately? But like, the accountant doesn't know what they're talking about usually for student loan 
planning purposes. That's a good point. Student loans are not a part of the tax code. So they're, <laughs> you know, they're not part of anything that, that the average tax preparer is going to come across and even, it, it doesn't impact the tax return itself usually unless, mm-hmm. you know, loan deduction, interest deduction, but that's about it for student loan on the taxes. Right. You go in the other direction, it makes a big difference. Right. So how do you decide? I mean, you, you've done a lot of these in the past, Andrew. How did you counsel people whether to file separate or joint? It was really just a matter of running the the numbers. See, well, if we're working with you, we can run the numbers on this student loans and that kind of thing. If you're calculating it, if you're, if you're doing it yourself, you need to have a way to run the numbers on what your payment is going to be in different scenarios. So that's what we can do is we can run the payment that you would in the future have based on different scenarios. So in this example, the scenario we're going to run the numbers on are the scenario where you're filing jointly versus the scenario you're going to file separately. We can run the different payments on those two scenarios and show you the difference between the two payments. So if it's like $600 a month on the jointly scenario and then $400 a month on the separately scenario. So that means you're saving $200 a month by filing separately in in this example. So $2,400 a year by filing separately. So that's step one is we, you know, calculate the cost difference of the two. And then step two is like, you got to run the tax numbers. So that's where the accountants come into play. Like a lot of times they don't realize that, in most cases, when they when you file separately, it hurts you on taxes, like like ninety nine percent maybe of the time, it makes it worse to file separately. So accountants are like, "What are you talking about?" Like that didn't I know that doesn't make sense. So that's why you have to be like, "Well, I know it doesn't make sense on my taxes," or maybe you preemptively say that you're like, this is not about necessarily saving taxes. It's a student loan thing. It's going to affect my student loan. So I need to know what the cost is. So we would word it like, can we were trying to figure out the cost, the added cost of filing separately on my taxes so that I can weigh that against the added benefit for PSLF purposes. Cause you're, we've already calculated you're saving $2,400 a year on payments. And if you're going for PSLF, that's pure savings. Like that's money in your pocket. So we need to calculate the tax costs of filing separately. So tax costs, usually filing separately costs more in taxes than filing jointly. So we get the accountant to run those numbers or you do it in TurboTax. It's kind of difficult to do it in TurboTax because you have to run two completely different tax scenarios, but you can do it. So you just got to run those numbers and compare the total tax due in one versus the other and say that number is say, you know, $400. In other words, the tax cost is $400 for filing separately. That's a win because you, your net benefit is $2,000. $2,400 PSLF benefit versus $400 tax cost. I'll take the $2,000, which is the difference of the two. And those numbers can be, that this is, that's a, just a random number scenario I came up with off the cuff, but like, the numbers we're seeing sometimes it can be substantial benefits. Yeah, it's it's not uncommon for me to see the payment difference being twenty thousand dollars a year. 
mm-hmm. by filing separate. And so, of course, you know, so $20,000 a year savings on student loans. And let's say I, oh man, let's say I have to pay $10,000 more in taxes. Which would you choose? Well, I would choose mm, more money. I would choose the $20,000 PSLF benefit, <laughs> but it, I could see where that would be a hard decision because like the 10,000 tax due is like now they're like, that's true. You got to pay them right now. So that's, I have worked through that decision with a lot of people and it's not so easy. Even if it's like straightforward, it's not so easy to say like, I got to write a check for 10,000 now for a probable future thing. And at some point now, if it's 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'll probably do it. Cause I have confidence in the PSL program, but like, I'm a little uncomfortable about that because I know the future is uncertain. So I like it more when it's like a thousand dollar tax costs for $20,000 PSL off savings. Yeah. Yeah. You're not (laughs) kidding. Okay. (laughs) But the 10,000, 20,000, I would still do it. And like, if you're, you know, five years away from forgiveness or less, like say you're one year away from forgiveness, that's, that's a pretty easy decision because you know, you're going to get it in a year, but like, the 10 year away from forgiveness, it starts to get hard to write checks now versus getting benefits 10 years from now. But generally speaking, yeah, I mean, you want to take the net tax, you know, the net of all things better off outcome. Yeah. That's a very fair way of phrase framing that as well of how much it hurts to write a $10,000 check now. Yeah. Right. It's not, I've never had anybody like rave about that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, Turns out I'm heartless, Daniel. Oh, Jeff. There we go. (laughs) Well, any other places? So I I can think of one other area where this gets a little bit more complicated for your strategy. Yeah. New save plan, but anything else you wanted to touch on with the area we were at? Filing separately and jointly. It gets a little... Were you going to talk about community property states? Oh, I wasn't even going to go there, but yeah, that's (laughs) a good one. I Um, mean, it gets, if you're living in a state that has community property, let's Google the community property. Do you know them off the top of your head? Oh, basically make an L down the West coast over to Texas. And then, yeah. What is it? Wisconsin. (laughs) I don't know how Wisconsin got involved in the community. Yeah, that, that's the weird one. Washington, Idaho, Nevada, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana. That's right. All the way to Louisiana. The L. And what's the other one? Uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Right. Wisconsin's yeah. a weird one. So if you're in one of those states, it's a little different for how you verify or for when you filed taxes separately they split the number equally Mm -hmm. like they just cut the total household income in half they make you do that in community property states whereas in all the other states they when you file separately they allow you to split it based on what each spouse earned Mm -hmm. so that why that's important is because if you live in one of those community property states, it's going to be a 
pretty dramatic. Well, if you, if both you and your spouse make exactly the same income, this is irrelevant, but like most of the time that's not true. So if you're in one of those community property states and both spouses work and it's not the exact same income, it's going to be potentially a big difference in how this thing shakes out versus in all the other states. But I, I'll just put this plug out there. If you are in a community property state and trying to go through this, it is well worth <laughs> the effort to engage with somebody that has worked on these types of plans before. Yeah. But yeah, it provides a whole lot of options there if you're in a community property state. So. Yeah. There are plenty of people now, nowadays, or we can tell you, Jeff is one that you can pay him to give you student loan advice. There's other student loan planners that will give you specific advice on this thing. Like we're talking like several hundred dollars, like 500 bucks or so on average, these people typically charge. We're getting into like the super complicated scenarios with the community property states. And especially if both spouses have student loans, like that's to me, the most complicated is both spouses have student loans. Both spouses work in a community property state. It gets really complicated fast there. So that's a time when it's, I mean, a lot of times people are paying for advice for even some of the more basic type stuff because it, it gets complicated pretty fast, but this is, we're getting into some of the more, the most complicated stuff is when we start talking community property state. So you just have to have that in your back pocket of something to be aware of. If you're in one of those States, it's kind of different than normal rules. Yeah. For I think taxes. The good news is that if you are in that situation in a, a situation did you know a community property state is now a situation it's a situation but if you are in a community property state you're not going to be you can only be better off i would put it this way by using the rules that are available to you in there in a community property state. yeah you just have to be aware of it but but yeah it does create more exciting analysis and student <laughs> yep all right that's all I got. You would you had oh, another one? There was one other area I thought I wanted to touch on here. And that was, we focused on PSLF. And that's what most of, of the individuals we talked to are focused on. This new payment plan also makes the long-term forgiveness quite a bit more complicated. Long-term being that on an income-driven repayment plan over 20 or 25 years, regardless mm. of your employment, you can have loan forgiveness if you have a balance remaining at the end. Now, things to consider about that would be that balance at this point in time is ta would be taxable un unless asterisk, unless that were to occur in the next couple of years and then it's not taxable. But uh, maybe most of us that are talking about 20 years from now, a 20-year plan are beyond that. So at this point, it would be taxable balance. But... The save plan is going to offer, for the most part, the lowest payments for that long-term forgiveness, but you have to make 25 years of payments. Some of the other plans will have a higher payment, but you only have to make 20 years worth of payments. And so that has made this quite a bit more complicated in analyzing yeah. that. Again, this is a case where and say, if you are in a situation where you have twice as much in student loans as you do in income, 
I'm thinking the $600,000 student loan <laughs> person making 250 or 300,000 in income. Um, it's almost a no brainer to proceed down this path, Yeah, but it's still a decision on lower payment, 25 years, yeah. higher payment, 20 years. And it, it just it makes it a little tricky too, when your income is higher. So like, let's say your income is 300 and your loan balance is 450. Like then we start to get into, it That's depends a, <laughs> a lot on, and I, in all the scenarios, it depends a lot on what we're assuming your income is going to be for the next, tw- you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. That's a really long time. Or maybe you've already had 10 years worth of payments. So then it's like 15 years. That's a big, big difference. But I think like a general, well, yeah, a general statement is like that this new safe plan makes that 25 year forgiveness plan for a lot of people more appealing. Yeah. So it's making it so that in general, if those (laughs) circumstances apply to you, paying the five extra years on the save plan is still less out of pocket that you have to pay than 20 years on one of the other plans, particularly if you're early on in that payment history. Right. There's all kinds of exceptions and stuff like that. So if, if you are just getting out of residency, making that decision now, save is likely a good option to start off with there anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sweet. And, all right. Well, we got into a lot of the, a lot of the strategies. There's a lot more and, and there's going to be a lot more, I think that will come out or we'll come up with as we get into the weeds of all this. Also, we didn't hit on some of the new things, new provisions. There's some new strategies. We hit on some of them, but there's some others that we didn't hit on along the lines of like qualifying for PSLF and employment. And we'll link to the show. Jeff and I talked about that quite a bit on the last show that we got into on student loans, where there's, you know, these employment based provisions, especially for California and Texas. Those are big time potential benefits. Or if you're right on the cusp of full-time employment to think about, but make sure to check that out if you have, or if you're curious about that or in that potential scenario. So Jeff, it was fun talking student loans. Wait, we have one more. We're going to talk student loans again in our next conversation. Our next show is going to be, what is the other, what is the other new thing that we haven't hit on yet? We'll give you a little teaser. Oh, and this is one without structure, but announced so far. What if you made a mistake? Can you go back and fix it? Yeah, that's crazy. To buy back credit on PSLF. I can't even believe that's happening just because it's just, I don't know. Anyway, we're going to hit on that a little bit next time. So we'll look forward to talking about that soon. Can't wait. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. 
Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.